Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, everybody. So we're here today um, kind of doing a roundtable, just the four of us discussing the story thus far. Um, we're getting ready to go into the second chapter, and we just want an opportunity to kind of talk through the things, the stuff we know what happened, maybe ask some questions of each other, uh, just kind of get our ducks in a row before we move on to the next element of the story. So I guess the first question is, uh, I mean, how do you guys feel? Well, we did just have to uh, talk Jake down from a panic attack uh, as we're sitting here kind of did. comparing notes uh, of just, you know, highlights and other things and just the sheer amount of loose threads that we've left. Some moments there's like, oh, you guys, we never checked up on that. Oh, and this and Jake's eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and so he left. Um, <laughs> he's, he's out. How do you guys feel the story has unfolded for you versus where you think it might have unfolded or turns that it took that you weren't expecting or you kind of on good footing character wise or you think they're kind of lost or I feel like character wise I'm on pretty solid footing like character wise we just had a big win yeah and I was just like hey all of our stuff came together and we did a good job and now we're on to the next adventure yeah I feel good player wise I don't like <laughs> player wise I'm like this is all sideways who, who knows what's going to happen yeah there's a really good mix of obviously just as far as you building the story of that kind of rope-a-dope of here's here's what we are looking at and here's what's really going on. And uh, the mix that I'm talking about is a good mix of that and us being given kind of here's what is going on and us rope-a-doping ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, in both cases, it ends up causing some pretty interesting uh yeah, story thread, and I'm sure so. we'll get to some moments of that later. But, you know, we just wrapped up the final story arc of this chapter where you guys had a pretty solid plan. And then last second, you're like, you know what? Never mind. Let's just go through the door. And it totally, you know, changed your entrance into the submarine and how you encountered it. And yeah, you guys do. You I think you talk yourself into good moments uh, and then scare yourself away from them sometimes. Yeah. All right. So the first story arc is Night at the Halifax. That is our first six episodes. Um, so what are some things that, that we learn here? What are some people that we meet here that come up later? Um, what do you what do you got here, guys? We meet so many people that we don't realize we're meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, there's the obvious, you know, the connection with Margaret right off the bat, which uh, I think you've spoken about earlier that didn't necessarily start out as being something that you thought of as an important through thread. Yeah. Um, with like Margaret in particular. Yeah, I thought she was essentially going to be the person who ran the phone and then it just became apparent at some point. I was like, oh no, she runs this place. Yeah, which is so cool. And then obviously Rev and his connection to the arcane. Um, we technically meet Anastasia, yeah. though we don't know that for a long time. Yeah, it's very true. And then we uh, meet Jeff and Eddie. Yeah. For the first time. Yeah. Uh, 
And they're very accommodating fellows. Like, <laughs> yeah, they are. They're just they're like, hey, yeah, you can. Chill NPCs. Yeah. Uh, we meet Queen Leah of Elnor and almost yep. keep her as a pet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you find her trapped inside of kind of the remnants of what had trapped Rev, that soul bat. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then there is the old woman named Bridget who we meet uh, for the first time. And we kind of, she's almost like a recurring character, but like not immediate. Yeah, she's like uh, she's like Talthibius and Trojan women. Like she pops up again, but not very often, and it's not really super relevant. But you know, she is the housekeeper for the Halifax, and we're going to see her at least twice more uh, in this first chapter. And so, I actually have a couple of questions left too from our fiftieth episode that people had submitted that I thought fit better in this episode. Uh, so I'll go through those um, as we go. Uh, The first one is TJ found a ticket stub at the theater uh, for a play and it had a seat number on it. Did that ever come into play? No, because I never investigated further except for the fact that uh, I looked at the ticket, saw that it was for the play Macbeth, shoved it into my pocket and then went back into the theater. Full well knowing that Macbeth was the important part of that ticket stub. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you guys stumbled across that ticket stub and then you stumbled across the locker in the green room, I think that the consensus was, even if it wasn't consciously, oh, this is all the information we need from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before that seat could be investigated, whatever, TJ the set it on fire. <laughs> burned down, yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, we talked about this before. I think that so much information was lost in the loss of the Halifax that, you know, just changes the way you guys investigate the world. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else from the Halifax you guys got on your mind or? The idea of Jake protecting me as the divine. God. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, people kind of, they think of TJ the science guy because that's been the bulk of what you've been and yeah. you played the mundane. That was and, your actual playbook. And, and uh, for, the, for that run of the mundane, I honestly, as a player and as a character, I just didn't know what my purpose was like i i obviously didn't as as the player i was just like what am what am i doing here i'm the mundane i'm just i'm i'm the sidekick i'm just kind of yeah you know tagging along and, and all having of your fun moves, with my friends yeah all your moves were set to lead you away from the group to get you into danger right. too yeah like i stand by that it was a funny idea it was a funny concept when we had the idea of all right the person i need to protect is literally built to wander off but what a nightmare in play. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't do it again. I mean, this is kind of the start of everything, so we don't have a lot of threads to trace here. No, it's just, I mean, that was kind of it. Is like This was such a good stepping stone because you were able to set up threads that we didn't even know were threads. Yeah. Um, so getting those callbacks later was very gratifying. Um, all right. So then the next story arc, we have uh, Not a Vacation, which is the Hawaii arc, uh, as well as... The Trial of the Divine, which takes place kind of in real time while Tass and TJ are dealing with the ramifications of some of the Hawaii stuff. Um, so what do we encounter here? We got a lot of kind of beginning of seeing the threads that were coming into play. Um, so stuff that when we step back, go, oh, my God, yeah, this is really part of this tapestry. Um, you know, when you come to find out the whole arc is us being manipulated to be here and do a favor For the guy that has turned out to be our sort of arch nemesis. Yeah. You know, tracing this back, we hear the story told by Ori that 
you know, he knew that uh, there were some agents of the IPT here. And so Nash told him, hey, make these people sick. It'll bring some hunters out to deal with our problem because I don't want to send any of my people to deal with it. And the problem was that Eston, one of his lieutenants, had essentially mingled his mind with this hive of ghouls and it had driven him mad. Um, and so, yeah, you guys kind of get brought out by what becomes your big bad to clean up his mess that he just doesn't want to deal with he used us he did yeah like a sack of potatoes i don't know that's not how that goes mm. used like it a sack now. of potatoes yeah like used for soups used for sure baked potatoes, potatoes. Used for all kinds of yeah. things yeah all gratin okay all right. potato guns hey can i just say i'm proud that none of us went anywhere weird with that <laughs> <laughs> yes gosh so we met a decent amount of people that become extremely, extremely important. Uh, Ori, I think, is the the big one. Um, Rachel, of course, who uh, we get killed, but of course comes back around in a different capacity. Rachel is kind of like our first kill, really. Yeah. If you think about it. Like, I mean, well, no, no, no. I take that back. That was the ghoul. The very first one that we killed was the ghoul. Yeah, but it's your, it's your first kind of human. Right. Yeah, the, not just... This is a monster. This is a mindless creature. It was our first, like, this is kind of a thinking, this is a sentient being. Yeah. yeah. And Moral you know, ground be damned. Yeah, exactly. It kind of starts us down this path of, you know, I think that as you look through the story, you can see treading this line of monsters can be good people and people can be monsters. And when do you make the choice to save them and sacrifice them? You know, that initial decision there with Rachel of like, oh, we could save her, but it might put TJ in danger. Let's kill her is not a decision I think that this group would make now. The the people sitting at the table as players or the characters who have just stepped through this portal would have had as easy a time making that decision to kill Rachel. I agree. Mm-hmm. Gosh, who else? Technically, we meet a whole lot of people in Jake's thread. We meet the Defender and Soul and... yeah. We meet all the gods. The yeah, whole yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah good call. Uh, I, meet, one, I meet all the gods. Yeah, one person that we um, forgot to mention in our little list making here, uh, it's the father at the church. Oh, we yeah, also, yeah. Yeah. We also met, but like he doesn't come to play until later on in the actual episode when we finally have this sort of last showdown with the last ghouls and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny because even in this arc... It's early enough that we were still getting our feet underneath us. And there are some things that existed once upon a time and had to be completely canned and redone from scratch. Like there were characters in this arc that we interacted with. And then I don't remember what the issue was, but something happened that we were like, we've got to redo this. Like maybe we lost the audio or something. Yeah, we lost the audio. And so just Mm. Rev rewrote a story for the most part, because at some point we were like, hey, where's this person? He's like, he doesn't exist anymore because you know how that goes now. Right. We didn't really get to talk about that, but so we had two moments at the beginning of this in the first three story arcs where something happened with the audio, either maybe a cell phone was left on on accident, so we got a bunch of bad feedback or uh, there was some bad reverb or any number of things, and literally an hour was just lost. And I didn't want to just try to run them back through the exact same story, so I would go back and keep the setting and maybe keep a couple of the NPCs, but the story itself would change. 
Um, and like Jake said, with the, with Hawaii, there was more of a crew there the first time we went through it. And I just removed them and, and left kind of the key players there. But one of the ones like what brought this up is one of the things that we didn't lose, but we were still kind of finding our groove when we encountered that priest and we didn't get what we wanted. Yeah. We threw a tantrum. Oh, man. And we stopped and Rev's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. why are you behaving this way? And we as the players were just like, well, he, well, he's he didn't not giving give us, us what we want. Yeah. And it was like, that's ridiculous. Like, play this like a human being. And we went back and we redid our interaction with the priest to be considerate humans yeah, instead of just grumpy toddlers. A very strange moment of them, like, cursing at a priest through a closed door and, like, threatening to come back in the night and slip in through his windows. And very, very weird. Like, almost, I think it's the only real maybe murder hobo moment we've had. I, that's what was in my head is I think we were much heavier into Pathfinder at that point. Yeah, yeah. And so that was it's just like, oh, thing. any NPC we can just kill if they're... <laughs> And, you know, that actually comes into play later, but we are all Pathfinder players or Earth Dawn players. You know, this was our first time playing this game, but it's a very different world. You can't treat NPCs the way that some people treat them in those other games because theoretically this world takes place in a realistic setting. So the cops show up. People want identification. People demand things from you, which I think adds a little bit of weight to it. And it, I think we were all, like Jake said, just getting our feet under that still. Um, I also did us a disservice by saying that most important new addition was Ori because this was the creation of the Sea Cobbler. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> which saved us many times. Yeah. Um, my, also, my I think... My proudest achievement, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it should be. Um, and I think something that ended up being a big surprise moment for me started here with us finding the magic circles and the, you know, the things that Eston was using mm -hmm. for all the amplification and so on. Um, because that in my head went, oh, okay, this is a part of this. We end up getting Nash's name, even though we don't interact, but we, you know, get a little bit of that information. And so that put me 100% on the track of Nash did something in Indianapolis that's going to be devastating. We have to figure out what that is. Yeah. And oof. <laughs> yep. Um, I also want to talk about like the the trial part of it. Yeah. Was one of the first experiences. I can't remember a lot of experiences I've had in a game where there wasn't a solution. Like that was interesting. I because I was playing through that, you know, especially the Hydra is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. Like I remember just going, I don't know how to kill a Hydra. And somebody was going, there isn't a way to kill a Hydra. Like and I was like, well, then what am I doing here? You know? Every game you play, if there's a puzzle, it's got a solution. If there's a combat, it's got an end. And this was a weird thing where it was, we're just seeing what you do. Like, you're not supposed to win. You're not supposed to figure it out. We just need to see how you play. And that was so strange, but a good mindset shift for me throughout this game. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about it pretty in depth and investigate the history. Um, but there were very specific rules to this and, you know, points that Jake could earn. And those points essentially got him a fail, a mixed success or a complete success when it came to what was going to happen to him and his connection to these gods. And yeah, this was, I think that even more so than the Halifax, because we were all kind of uncertain with the Halifax, just not uncertain, but getting used to the game. And I think I started to personally get my groove in this story of like, oh, this is how the system works. This is how I roll with this. And I remember, um, you know, Jake losing his hammer and it being a real kind of a tense moment, stopping the microphone being like, trust me, it's going to be fun. And just that moment of like, oh, okay, okay. Because I think we're so used to games, again, like Pathfinder, where bad ramifications, that's all they are. It doesn't ever really come up as a story option to 
make something more dynamic in the same way that this, a narrative-driven story, does. Yeah, and I still have the thought in my head usually of like class features or class features. You know, yeah. like, like in most of those games, it even mechanically lays out like if you lose, you know, if a, if a Magus loses their Black Blade, there's something to get it back. If a Druid loses their Animal Companion, they spend 24 hours in meditation and they get a new Animal Companion. And that's not how this game works at all. Yeah. It is like... It's all narrative, baby. It is whatever happens, happens. There are no rules about how you get your shit back. There are no rules about what happens. So, yeah, when I lost the hammer, I was like, well, that's a class feature. Like, what do I do to get a new thing or to get it back? Like, I've got to have it back. It's part of my class. It's like, that's not a thing. Yeah. Whatever, whatever happens, happens. We'll figure it out. Yeah, because I think that this this that moment specifically really shows the level of trust. I think you have to have as players and as a keeper around the table that no matter how things go that we're all working together to tell this story and you know he says it in the first chapter be fans of the players be fans of the characters and so that even when things go real low or real bad it's because it's going to make the upswing that much better um anything else for uh not a vacation or trial of the divine um no well we do meet uh soul yes who will be more relevant but we can talk about him more in detail okay when he becomes relevant so next we go to outer space. We have the Eye of Horus. God, we do. Um, which it may not be my favorite story, but it is damn close. Something about you guys in this closed quarters place having to deal with this real time threat, introducing the element that this teleportation that has been saving them so much. There are runes and there's a specific reason why, but it can't happen here. And this is where for me, the first time death and ramifications really start to come in and change the characters i think even not just that but just the simple fact that this is the first time that this really felt like horror um and at least i think for me as a player yeah because sure the halifax creepy spooky we've got the you know the darkness and all these things to deal with hawaii we had the tunnels and these ghouls that are mm-hmm. horrific things but it was still first of all we were still early and kind of getting our footing with just how to play and but then on top of that it was kind of that excitement and fun so nothing was scary yet yeah and damn this was just moments of desperation and feeling alone and feeling helpless in a way we hadn't seen yet and boof yeah it uh it worked (laughs) so we meet a whole slew of characters in eye of horus uh Uh, yeah we got uh soroka we've got dr white we've got riley we've got reeves um we've also got Fairchild as well. Yeah, uh, there's technically young, but oh, he yeah. had he was the one that was killed before we got there. Right yeah. by the golem or nope, not by the golem. Nope, by no, Riley. see by Riley. That's right. Yeah, therein lies the intrigue. Mm. Yes. No spoilers. Um, <laughs> no, this is all spoilers. <laughs> if you are 20 minutes into this episode and this is the first time you're listening to an episode, go back. Yeah, <laughs> please don't start here. This is nothing but spoilers. Um. This was the first time I had my uh, beginning of the mystery move oh, where I just yeah. got to go, what sort of creature is it? Yeah. And I was I was so sure that that was like, I was going to be like, ha ha, I know exactly what it is. We're going to breeze through this one. And it was like, yeah, technically, you know what that one is, but yeah. you do not know the mystery. And I think we, we may have talked about that at some point of that was a hard decision in the moment to make. Like, okay, do I tell him poltergeist and have them then have to go face this yeah, just get golem. wasted by a golem. Or do I say golem and have them no, not know what's controlling it? Uh, and so since, you know, in that moment, actually, Dr. White had just been 
essentially hospitalized by the golem. That was the direction I went was with the golem. I think that was smart. Thanks. You're welcome. It gave us a little bit of a mystery that we had to investigate. We had to figure out that a golem isn't just a mindless, you know, lump of clay or anything. It could be anything basically with some kind of writing or something that or programming that is given to it by, in this case, a uh, poltergeist. Yeah. And it like that knowledge made us worse at solving this mystery. Like we're like, okay, it's a golem. I know that for a fact. God told me. So let's fit all of the evidence into the golem box. Yeah. Without ever looking outside of it to figure out what the hell was going on. We're like, well, this doesn't make sense for a golem, but it's a golem. So how do we make it make sense? Well, it doesn't. You're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to probably keep saying this because I'm drawing on notes from Investigate the History. But essentially what I tried to do here is I took everything I could find about how a golem works and I gave it one level of a tech upgrade. So all the components there in the stories of how you create a golem, what it takes to control it, are still there, but they are technical. So if you guys had gotten into the computer where um, where Young essentially had possessed, you would find in there a Word document. And that Word document changed based off of what the golem's instructions were. And that was symbolic of the paper that you have to put into the golem's mouth to give it orders nice Um, and so everything that is connected to a golem i tried to include in the technology um, that was being created um looking through my notes for this arc uh it says that i put riley's greasy gloves into my pocket dimension did i ever take them out or do i just have a pair of greasy gloves (laughs) i don't think you have a pocket dimension now do you (laughs) i don't so they would have just fallen out on the floor in the lab oh yeah yeah I I think at some point I took them out to, like, confront him. I think I was like, look at them. Look at these gloves. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that in that confrontation and kind of the the damnation of his guilt. I slapped him with a glove as if I were challenging him to a duel. Yes. I remember that very specifically. Yeah. Go back and put that in. Yeah, no problem. Record it. Just say it right now so I can. I'm going to slap him with one of his greasy gloves like I'm challenging him to a duel. He seems shocked and offended. Perfect. Perfect. Super guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, that's just a good point, too, is the people here. We, at this point, didn't realize that there was more to this world than just IPT, that there are these other organizations that had come together to do all this stuff. So that was a big revelation. Sort of the United Nations of uh, Paranormal Task Force. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also became the science guy. That's within true. Which this is an arc. important one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were about to just breeze Just past. move on. Who are you again? How did you get here? Uh, right, because we know that TJ is relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Speak, speaking of that sounds mean. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take it as being. Yeah. Weird. So we know that TJ has a purpose. We just don't know what it is yet in the first couple story arcs. And here he becomes the science guy. And we get a sense that this might be his purpose, his calling, that something he has to do in the future will revolve around his scientific abilities. Well, that's my question is, you know, knowing that that was going to be part of it and that their whole connection, you know, he, he and Jake's is he's being protected and so on. Um, you know, this didn't take the form mechanically that it might normally where, you know, actually on these lists on the playbooks, when you level up to a certain point, you can just say this character changes their playbook and you just kind of come up with a reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not exactly what happened. So I'm just, I don't think I've ever asked super specifically what behind the scenes went into that. You know what I mean? Oh, that's fair. Um, so yeah, it really was. I Aladdin TJ. 
(laughs) We got done with the session and he knew that he was leveling up and that he had the option to change his playbook. And I said, hey, do you trust me? He goes, why? I said, I've got a playbook for you. And he goes, yeah, okay. And that's really all the conversation was. Nice. That reminds me. One thing we skipped was there were so many kind of like, surely we're going to change playbooks at some point. But, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. At this time, there was a chance that TJ was going to become the monstrous once upon a time, and there's a chance that I was going to become the monstrous. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Like, oh. He drank some vampire blood by accident in Hawaii, and then I took it away from him. Yes. But I had the werewolf serum. Like, I almost turned in Hawaii. Like, I couldn't, I was real thirsty, and nothing would slake it. Yeah. I guess I don't know if we talked about that on this, but Jake's fail would have been becoming the monstrous from his trial if he had failed that, and they would have. Let him choose which one is like these two forces are at battle within you. Which one do you want to remove? And he would have become the monstrous of that other. There was also two. I assume people probably thought that TJ was going to become the chosen just because he was important. We didn't have a chosen. It's, you know, obviously it is a, a very strong trope of the genre. And so the, but then he becomes a super scientist. Yeah. Um, really, I think the only other thing with Eye of Horus is the loss of life here. We get two deaths. Uh, both of the people come back in a different form. We have Dr. White, who we have a scene at his funeral that gives us a little bit of a hint of what's going on inside of Tass with the flash of blue light behind his eyes when he feels that anger. Uh, and then we see him. We don't know it yet, but we see Dr. White brought back to life by Nash. Uh, but then we also have the death of Reeves, who kind of stows away. And, you know, she had had a conversation with you guys about like, oh, yeah, astral projection. And I think maybe even Jake said, hey, if you were dying, could you astral project yourself out of your body? And she's like, I don't know. I don't think that would work. But in that moment, she was like, well, shit, I'm going to try. Yeah, that was that was tough. And again, like you said, this being kind of a favorite for a lot of people, there's a good reason why when everything goes great, that's not super compelling. Yeah. Um, but we really got to dig deep in this and being a lot more comfortable with the game by that point at dealing with action and repercussion. It just occurred to me, like, I was like, yeah, this is kind of like in the first Avengers movie when, you know, after the big, the first big fuck up on the helicarrier and everybody's kind of divided and stuff. And I was like, I literally ended up on the ground, like the scene where Thor has fallen out of the thing, like me, the Thor analog, I'm down on Earth having just lost a person, like, dejected in the sand. I was like, man, I accidentally stole that scene. Whole yeah, plot. yeah. <laughs> um, so next, that brings us to the Fun House and the <sighs> showdown at Monument Circle. Um, the Fun House, oh, man, that was fun to record. I have a, one very specific question about the Fun House. Yeah. What the hell, man? <laughs> How much of it are we even allowed to know or talk about? Like. Um, You know, as things come up, you guys could probably ask questions. There is stuff that you saw that has not come up yet. There's also stuff that you didn't see that has not come up yet, which is a weird thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, and I think I've said this before. uh, Again, I keep I'm going to keep referencing investigate the history because we talk about a ton of this stuff on there with every story arc. But that each door that was available had a purpose. It was like, oh, this is a door that is a moment from the future, or oh, this is a door that is a warning, or oh, this is a door that is a glimpse of your past, or this is a glimpse into how you perceive yourself or how the world perceives you. And so what was behind that door was different depending on who opened that door. And then the following scene was different depending on which of the remaining two interacted with the door the second time. Um, And that was, again, just a long 
deep dive into a couple of different sleep analysis books uh, when I was suffering from some pretty strong insomnia. Um, and so I think we learned pretty quickly that almost nothing in here is literal, although we do take a couple of things literally uh, that don't come up again for 40 episodes. And that all went great. Yeah. Yeah. For instance, um, Ori going down a uh, alleyway. Like yeah. when you said that, I knew it was like, it seems like he's running from something but it, uh, almost like metaphorically, oh, he's running from his past or something like that, you know? Yeah. And we went the total opposite way and took it way too literally. And we were like, yeah, worry, stay away from, you know, cities and, and places with alleys. alleyways yeah. and everything. I, I think that was that, pretty stupid of us. Well, I think that at first that was kind of tongue in cheek. I feel like at first that was like, a, we don't know exactly what this means, but at the very least... Stay out of alleys. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you guys kinda... very specifically didn't use him for help. Yeah. And then we lost track of it. Yeah. And like later circle, on, we were like, like there's oh, alleys here. There's we alleys. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the ones I have written down in my notes, the visions we had, task dropping stones in a bucket, yeah. which I feel like is just kind of like a, they have a good heart. Keep them that way. Like my goal, like he's just everything that happens is causing some extra turmoil and shit to spill over in him. Yeah. So that uh, this is fun because this is the second time I'm getting to discuss this now. Um, so, yeah. Task dropping stones into the bucket, and then as the bucket fills, the water overflows into the ocean, and with the water falling into the ocean, it gets more tumultuous. Um, the stones were essentially his bottled up. The, every emotion he wasn't feeling, every tense thing, every bad, can't decide, what do I do? Okay, this is my choice. Drop it in the bucket. Yeah, and, and it was causing just... his calm to overflow and it was, you know, making the sea ultimately kind of what's going on underneath Tess. We see this dark turn in him around this point uh, where he starts to go pretty Punisher direction. Um, you know, that was kind of the representation of that sea roiling. That hits deep, bro. Right. It hits deep. Thanks. Uh, my teeth falling out in a bucket. Did that one have a specific in story or was that just a general anxiety? That was specifically just in-game Jake's thought process about having just had to go through the trial to prove that he is still worthy. You know, the thing that I found was that teeth falling out, uh, you look that up and sometimes it's vanity, but a lot of time it's actually connected to essentially how am I doing? I am uncertain. I don't think I'm doing well. I'm questioning strength. Isn't the right word capability. Um, and so it was connected to that. That was kind of your moment in the past that you saw before you had to go into the trial or even kind of during the trial task fighting soul bats. So Tass fighting soul bats, if I remember right, was actually in the hallway, correct? That was not in a room. There were two different types of visions. You had the visions that came to you when you opened a door, when you went in a door. But there were also visions that happened if you tried to use the same door again. This world was set up so that you basically got one shot at each door. So if you tried to break the rules of this world, if you tried to reuse a door, it hit you with just a bad, weird moment as a punishment. Uh, and if I remember correctly, Tass having that vision of fighting the soul bat and then coming to and having the gun pointed at you was he tried to open a door that had already been opened. Yeah. So was that the same thing that happened with TJ swimming for the hammer and getting attacked by vines? Yes. Okay. Yep, that was okay. one of his punishment. Moves. I wondered about that because I was clearly trying to stay away from all the, the water I possibly could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've got sad God council hyphen drains me and I shatter. So... I think that one was just another, like, I'm afraid that the gods are disappointed in me and they're going to strip me of this power yeah. type thing. Yeah. And that was, an, I think that was another one of those moments of not a 
fresh door. Boy, I take bad notes. TJ, electricity, apples, math. Oh, yeah, the blue energy form that was over oh. him feeding him apples, and there was yeah. like that. I think that has to do with things. Noel, right? Uh, close, yeah. All right. Uh, so I think we can talk about this one. Uh, that was just representative of that TJ has this ability. He's got this weird science now. There's all this stuff that he doesn't know, and that you have people all around you that paranormal-wise or magic can give information, um, but that most of the help that he was asking for was always mundane stuff. It was never, hey, someone teach me this magic. Hey, someone train me. How do I get better at the weird part of my weird science? Um, And so that was to show that there are people out there who could be feeding him knowledge if he ever chose to go down that path. Nice. It makes sense. Uh, And then I've got the one that was me at the Feast of the Gods with the Empty Seat, which was just kind of the previous divine isn't here. Yeah. And we learned that's just Anastasia. Yeah. And that you, to make that hole again, to make that table not poisonous and dying, you've got to kind of reunite the lineage. Uh, That's all the dream notes I had written down. Yeah. And there were like little other things that popped up, but they weren't really tied to those door openings. It was more like the progress through, like we saw the spider queen that would eventually come up. And um, there was like something with the, like the puzzle box and that had the, the plague doctor. Inside yeah. Of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, so that's a good example. Actually, the puzzle room, the boxes all moving around. That was the one room that no matter who went into it, that room was the same. It was boxes moving around. And then depending on who went in and who opened the box, though, it would have been a different site. So mm. task got the plague doctor, because obviously the plague doctor is kind of meant for him. Uh, since that death was caused by him. You know, of course, he doesn't know this at that time yet, but... Are we allowed to know what we would have gotten? Uh, No, you guys have not encountered George. Well, no, that's not true. Jake would have seen the bat from Ori's vision. Oh, Oh, nice. But TJ does not know his yet. (gasps) Well, I'm so scared. Something's coming for you, TJ. Oh, no, God. Uh, Yeah, there's just... We could spend a whole hour just talking about the fun house. Um, so is, but is there anything really kind of big or important that we learn here? Uh, I think one of the biggest things that lasts and that we actually latch onto is interacting with Lana because we get that thread and that, you know, there's this capability of the chosen in me slash Tass and, um, you know, that kind of sets us on a whole other path as well. Mm-hmm. So that was some really cool stuff there to, I don't know, it was really fun for me to help move the narrative a little bit with my dreamscape and all that. So I I dug that. And someone actually asked me this the other day in a message on Discord. Yes, you are correct. There is a door that is opened for a brief moment and they look out into it and then they close the door pretty quickly and then go across the hallway and open the other door where they find the, uh, the crystal that Lana is in. But in that door being opened, we got the sound of a revving engine. We saw flames and we saw like a construction site. Yes, that was Damien. So for the person who asked that question, yes, there was a glimpse of Damien and Tass's future behind that door. Nice. Yeah, we were just talking about this kind of the dreamscape, like the crystal in the head. Yeah. And how it's, you know, is there literally a crystal in your head? And we were like, well, yes and no. It's on this kind of metaphysical plane. Like, yeah, not wouldn't show up on an x-ray. You couldn't cut somebody's head open and pull out a blue crystal. But like in this kind of alternate, this shifted reality. Yes, that exists in your head. Yeah, like a third eye. 
Like yeah. the, the third eye, you don't actually see, but if you were to look at their kind of aura, you can see that third eye. And so, yeah, that, that crystal is there in the kind of mind palace, the, the brain space of anyone who has the potential to be the chosen. Um, and then from there, we have one of my favorite moments. Um, you guys get this information and you latch on to, okay, what we have to do is we have to find the divine. We have to find the previous divine. She is the key to all this. You know, you guys sank down into that and ran. And I thought, I have no idea how they're going to try to get her attention because I know where she's at. I know what she's doing and I know how she deals with new information. I know kind of how she deals with new people, which is not well. Um, and Jake has this idea and this was the first story where all the stories I don't have a whole lot of control. I can create a setting. I can drop some NPCs and some villains, and it just depends on where you guys go. But the showdown at Monument Square was entirely you guys. Um, I had nothing to do with that. You guys talked through it, and you came up with a plan, and you laid it out, and I just kind of rolled with it. And it was such a great moment. Um, it was a really cool, like, team gelling episode. And from that, you actually, because I, I remember telling, I think, Jake this after the recording because I knew the expectation was going to be, hey, we did this thing. I'm on the news. Okay, where's she at? And I know it's going to be a long time coming before she shows up. And I think I remember telling Jake like, hey, what you guys just did was amazing. You're not going to feel like you succeeded, but you got the best result you could possibly get. But it's not going to feel like it for a long time. Um, and so that was just one of those moments that as a game master with his players, not just as people at a table, you know, I wanted the players to feel good about what they had done, even if in the sense of us telling a story to an audience, it's not going to pay off nearly as quickly as we might like it. Because, you know, if we were playing this game around the table with no audience, we might go, yeah, okay, so a long time passes. Like, you guys are waiting, checking for these messages, and it's like three months. And during the course of this, you do this, this, and that. And we'll talk about that later. But we don't really want to do that. We don't want to jump huge chunks of time. I feel like that that was a point of they had created the story all by themselves. I want to make sure that, that there's that positive reinforcement outside of the game because it's not going to come quite yet inside the game, even though it will come eventually. That arc is a big example for me. And we talked about that. I'm talking about loose threads and panicking and how as a player, I don't really know where this is going and I'm and I don't feel good about it. I want to emphasize that that is just how I feel playing games yeah yeah <laughs> and like like because you know like there are a lot of these things that in retrospect i'm like hell yeah that was awesome yeah. we did good but the absolute terror going into that of like this can go so so wrong like that is one of the most rewarding things one of my favorite things that my character has done in this game and yet i cannot forget the panic going into it yeah. right. which is the same panic that i feel all the time going into the next arc. <laughs> it is not until the door is closed on something and I can look back and go, okay, that went that way. But until that moment, I'm just like, everything can go horribly wrong. Oh God, I feel so bad about this. Oh, I'm jealous of that. I think I'm a little opposite in that I'm like, yeah, let's try this thing. And then after we do it, I go, man, I hate what I just, <laughs> what I just did. See, you've hate got my choices. Yeah, you have got, you want to act like TJ and then blame it on TJ if it goes back. <laughs> like, <laughs> you like just TJ is admittedly like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna do this thing. It's the thought I've had, and w sometimes we'll go, damn it, like that's great and it's inter it's good to listen to. But man, as far as advancing the game goes, this sucks. Yeah. But you also Tess also <laughs> wants to do that, and then at the end of it, he goes, 
Oh, I regret that. Damn it, TJ. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recall a single moment of that. Uh, And if you can find it recorded, then maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I actually was just having this thought earlier today along those lines of it's so different running a game where you don't have a vested interest in player death. Like we've had player death and I have ways to deal with player death. But obviously you guys playing as yourselves gives us an interesting hurdle. But now if we're playing as, you know, characters in the Pathfinder game, you know, we're playing through um, Giant Slayer right now. There are deaths left and right. We barely have a chance to get attached to a character before someone dies because it is a hard AP. But I've had a couple of moments where specifically Tass talking to characters. I can think of two, maybe three instances, but Tass talking to Grigori and Baba Yaga. But I thought, oh, man, he's going to pay for this later because I can't. What would happen in a Pathfinder game is that character would kill him in the moment. Yeah, it would just be Rorschach at the end of Watch. Yes. <laughs> yep. It would just be reduced to slurry. Yeah. You mean my hero? Yeah. And so, but all of those villains, because I have to play this game a little different, have all now put targets on people that he cares about just to twist the screws because he talks so much shit to very <laughs> big, Tass, powerful people. Good going on that one, dipshit. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's fun because it's such a different way to play for me that, oh, it's that Spider-Man thing that we talked about of like, well, I can't necessarily do to you what this character would do, but, oh, you got friends and family out there and they're going to have a heyday. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that I like that idea of like, man, what do we do in the moment? And oh crap, how does that, oh boy, here we go. Let's roll. And just seeing how things then come up later, you know, there are ramifications felt all through this story and it has also developed in me a new skill. Cause for me, I think the, the scariest part about running this game is knowing the characters' points of views, the NPCs. And when I know that we're about to get in a heated conversation, like, I don't like that. I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be bad because I know if Jake's going to feel this way and this character does not, it's going to be a heated exchange. And we've had moments before where we've had to stop the recording because you can hear my heartbeat in my throat through the microphone because I'm just like, oh, God, here it goes, here it goes. But I don't want to not be true to the character. And so I've had to develop techniques like with Baba Yaga where I had to think ahead, like, okay, Tass is going to get real shitty with her but she's smart enough to know that so what things can she talk about from his history that'll stop him in his tracks because i'm not i don't want this to turn into an npc and a pc just arguing you know what are the tactics they're trying in these conversations which is just a whole new level of role play for me which is really horrifying but a lot of fun so it's not just no shut up let me talk but it is can this character get this other person to listen? And what's the tactic that they have to use to get them to listen? Mm-hmm. Um, which is it really been a stretch for me as a game master, which is a lot of fun. Anybody else have anything left from Funhouse or Showdown at the Monument? Trent sucks. He does. Hashtag Trent sucks. Hashtag Trent sucks. I almost forgot that the Thunder Lizard's name was Trent. I mean, we got to see TJ really ball out as the science guy. Yeah, we did. Good God. Yep. He made three inventions for that and then combined two of them together that's correct yeah i uh, made the little shrinking tablet and then the sleeping like pill or agent of some sort and then just put those all together into one thing and put it inside of a lizard yeah lizardman. i have a little dented up altoids tin on my bookshelf right now and we also see a whole bunch of returning npcs to help out you know jake calls in a favor uh, that he had earned from 
from Damien. Uh, we see just everyone. About, just about all of them, yeah. Yeah, we see everybody kind of helping out with this. That's even something that, again, doesn't really come up. And I feel like we try to avoid in this game, too, having the NPCs carry weight. Yeah. But, like, in a lot of things, you wouldn't be able to just kind of call in the NPCs for help on an endeavor. If you did, there'd have to be some mechanical reason you got to do that. Yeah. I was just waiting for, like, a, a full-on conversation with all, like, 12 of them, like, <laughs> all over the radio, like, hey, did you see him? Do you see him? No, I don't see him. Hey, what's going on? Just a half hour long conversation with myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is a good uh, high point that I think you guys end on a real celebration there, which is kind of the first time, you know, things went okay previously, but I think this is the team's first real man. We kicked some ass like we did this exactly like we wanted to. Yeah. So next we have Elnor. You guys are tooling around in Jake's car. I have Jake roll luck. And we found out why later, uh, but you three and the car teleported to Elnor, uh, where again, we meet a whole slew of people, one of which we've met before. Yeah, little Leah, but much taller now. Right, because there is a size difference here. Or I guess technically we're smaller. Who knows? (laughs) I don't know how this works. Magic. Um, Yeah, the introduction of one of my favorite NPCs, Ferguson, my boy. Yeah. Yeah. what Robert isn't your favorite? Robert, <laughs> the Robert, the wordless one. I am so happy. Like, there's a part of me I thought, you know, they may never get back to Elnor, but Jake making that realization that teleport allows him to go any place he's been before. I was so happy when the door to Elnor opened back up again. Boy, there are two people in there that we never found out what happened to them. Oh boy, <laughs> it's true. And uh, assume they're dead. If they weren't, they are now. Yeah, boy, there were a lot of people in Elnor, huh? Yeah, uh, Fergie, Fox, Vitz, Rory, um, Conover, R- Rory and Sage, Sage. Are the dead folk. Yeah, Pride, Conover, and Robert the Silent. <laughs> I still hold a candle for Fox. <gasps> yeah, so you have this essentially kind of royal court, um, and they have brought you here because they are under attack, and the queen has said, "Hey, there are some people in this other world. I kind of know how we can get there. They saved me once; they can do it again." And it's the spider folk from Funhouse. It is. The, the beautiful throwback, the beautiful callback <laughs> to the spider folk. Yeah. I, I, I had to make a decision there. I think we've talked about this before. Yes. Yeah. That if I have to go realistic world, Tass is done. Tass is done here. He instantly. dies on the ground. Um, so I had to lean into this is the most fictional version <laughs> of Tass that exists. Yeah. Because he can deal with this with a clear mind as giant, giant spiders <laughs> come into battle us. Um, and so really, you guys find out that they are just there's this army and they're kind of marching across from dimension to dimension. Yeah, it seems like the two big through lines from this arc were how wild magic is. Yeah. And, you know, how it works or doesn't work and can work and all that. And the multidimensional stuff. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Jake is more powerful here. I am. Yes. In some ways that are kind of a lateral move, pulling someone to me instead of going to them. Yeah. Has potential, also lacks potential. Yeah. That one got me in trouble. Has potential, though, because at the end of the story, I guess we don't have to jump there right away, but you yeah. were, you were able to reach through, and I think with a point of luck. Is that right? I can't remember now. I I don't think so. Okay. Because it, it was just kind of like a probing attempt, even. Yeah. I was like, can I pull her? It was like, I don't try it. And then I did, and I think I just got the full success. And yeah. it was like... Yes, very much so. Yeah, that you had just ripped her back through the dimensions because she had went home. She's like, I'm out. I can't deal with this right now. They've got metal. 
Um, you know, we find that this is a world that does not have metal, which is unfortunate because that is the weakness of these creatures. You know, and what a subtle thing too. what a subtle hint for the future of he can yank somebody through dimensions to be back here, but not necessarily none of us had the thought of, can you just pop back over there whenever? Right. Never gave it a try yeah. until the last minute. <laughs> Um, and so there, the monster's weakness to metal uh, was why Jake had rolled luck at the beginning of that adventure, because I thought, well, on a good luck roll, they're going to be in the car because now they have an ample source of metal, which was a real big high point for Jake, because that was the second or was that the first car? Uh, that was the f- you had just gotten that car. Yeah, I yeah. think that was the first car. <laughs> Cause I'd spent, yeah. Cause I'd spent all my points on it. Yes. And I was like, don't you touch that car. Yeah. <laughs> Rev, Rev's got that meme with the math going around his head of, Oh God, if they don't touch the car, what was this all for? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you also have, you know, aside from the spider queen and her soldiers, we also have this Goliath half spider, half bear creature um, that is just, Reckon havoc and it is standing guard and anybody who has gotten close to it has just gotten murdered but it's basically invisible um and i remember you guys going through like okay what are we gonna do with this oh well let's launch the car at it let's turn the car into a bomb or let's We'd, make a glider and just yeah. fly out there and we'll just attack it and i think that was really the first instance of you guys almost starting to make a move without having done enough investigation to know what the weakness of this creature was and I remember thinking, man, they're going to go on a hang glider out there and drop on this thing, and I'm going to have to figure out how to keep doing a podcast after <laughs> after a TPK, after these three guys just die in another world. But you guys end up uh, finding out the information about how magic works, and that for some reason the the sunrise and the sunset channels through this uh, this Goliath, and you use it as a giant bomb. Uh, to destroy the army and subsequently destroy the portals, which is really cool because I think the thing that you guys in character don't know is that, you know, they have been marching across realities just they're like locusts and you have pushed them back further than you think because of the amount of energy that got through that portal and destroyed other portals. Oh, so like basically cascaded through the portals to, into the next portal into yeah. the next one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily just they are not just one dimension away still. Nice. Uh, is there anything else from Elnor? Um, we did get some stuff that we used as currency later for several things, just by virtue of what we brought back. Yeah. Uh, the necklace that I used helped Rev, uh, and we definitely made use of the bow and arrows with Strom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was the weird science was like I made a forge or something like, or maybe that was engineering. I think I had engineering by that time. I know that I had to make the special bullet though for... Yeah, I think uh, you weird science it because it was like it took a whole yeah. significant amount of time yeah. to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when I got Saul as a actual companion. Oh, yep. Yeah, that was one of my level ups mm-hmm. in there. Thank goodness. And then, I mean, yeah, saved our ass several times. And then that was when we all came back from Elnor with some cool shit. Yes, that was nice. Like everybody came back with you know all of our level ups or just things we thought about that had happened there. We got to use in cool ways later on. I got to turn into a dachshund one time. Yeah. And what a time it was. It was a good time. It helped a little. Yeah. And I think, you know what, um, because we'll we'll get into Tess's uh, turning into a dachshund one time, Uh, but I think we're going to save that for next time. This will be a little two-part conversation about the stories thus far, Uh, but do stay tuned for a little epilogue from chapter one. We're back in TJ's subterranean lair. 
The hum of magic fills the air, and we're seeing over Rev's shoulder as he watches Jake, Tass, and TJ join hands. And they step into the portal, and there is a blinding flash of light which fills our vision with spots. And we pan over Rev's shoulder and focus on him as he rubs his eyes for a moment, and then looks down at the various runes and monitors attached to the teleporter. But then something catches his attention, and he looks up. And we see his eyes widen, and in a burst of movement, he hurtles over the table and sprints to the metal circle inlaid into the floor. And we pan back over his shoulder as he skids to a stop, and we see the cause of his panic. On the stone floor of this hidden lair, where the magic portal stood not moments ago, lay the motionless bodies of Jake, Tass, and TJ. The Crit Show is a Crit Show Studios production, edited and produced by Brandon Wentz with music by Jake Purley. You can find more information about us at thecritshowpodcast.com. To keep up to date with upcoming live shows, contests, and other special events, follow us at The Crit Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For even more weekly content, join us at patreon.com slash thecritshow. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. How much do you know about cryonic preservation? Cryonic preservation. The preservation of human beings at extreme low temperature. You mean like like uh, Walt Disney? I swear to God, if you say anything about Walt Disney's frozen head, I'm hanging up this phone right now. Swear to me. Never heard of the Red Valley Seabolt until I just told you. I swear. You swear. Could you take your hand off my knee? Look, Warren, if they're sending the butter wouldn't melt new boy looking for Red Valley, it'll be for a reason. Trust me. People are losing their lives in this company. We pulled him out too soon. He is awakening exactly as we planned. He's dying on me! We're all murderers here. Bryony, you, me, that doorman probably. Guy on the corner there with the neck tattoo. I bet he's killed someone. Would you like to cut his head off? I'm sorry. The saw is funny. Gordon, why are you sharing this stuff with me? Why are you smiling? I don't know. I smile when things get awkward. Get in your golden bullet, pick me up. You want to go to Red Valley? You want to go to Red Valley? Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley. Red Valley is available on all podcast providers. Do you want to continue?